After winning Super Bowl 50, Peyton Manning announced that he was going to retire. I'm a big Denver Broncos fan. But I have to tell you, after Peyton Manning's retirement at the end of the 2015 season, the Denver Broncos have gone through 11 different quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks. They apparently had big shoes to fill. Now, some of you might not be football fans, so I've got another example for you, because I understand. There's a, a series out on Disney+, Plus, uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This fits some of you better. And in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Sam Wilson is struggling to balance his role filling the shoes of Steve Rogers. He's learning that it's not so easy to always say, I can do this all day. You see, he has big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. We're going to be in the book of Joshua, and we're going to start with Joshua 1. And what I want you to see in the book of Joshua is that in the Christian world, the idea of big shoes to fill doesn't really exist. Because it's actually God that's doing everything. And it's God's show, and God chooses people to work for him. And that's what we're going to see in Joshua. So turn in your Bibles to Joshua 1, and I want you to listen for three things. Sorry, four things. What I want you to listen for is that God's the promiser. I want you to listen that the promise requires strength of character. I'd like you to see that we place our confidence in God, but possessing the promise is not an individual effort. And finally, I want you to see that possessing God's promise is an act of obedience. So turn in your Bibles to Joshua 1. As I was thinking through what to preach on coming out of the capital campaign, Pastor Aaron had shared with me his document on what he was going to preach on. And he was going to preach on Joshua, starting in the fall. And I looked at that and I thought, huh, that's the thing that I've got in mind too. I wonder if this is where we're supposed to go. And the more I have studied Joshua, the more I believe that this is exactly what God has for our church. There's lots in here. And I'm excited. This is going to be a long series because we're going to go through every chapter. But I'm excited for what God has for us as a church. Let's start in Joshua 1, and let's read verses. Uh, we'll go with 1 through 4 to start with. So let's start there. After the death of Moses the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all those people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. All right. Well, that's an interesting introduction. Let's actually set the stage by making sense of why we would start off with after the death of Moses as the beginning of a book. Remember, back in Genesis, that God had promised to Abraham 
land, the land of Canaan. God promised Abraham that he would inherit the land of Canaan. However, Abraham did not. In fact, Abraham's next Isaac, his son, also did not inherit the land of Canaan. Jacob, the next in line, did not inherit the land of Canaan. Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. Not only did they not inherit the land of Canaan, they wound up in Egypt. Things went downhill from there. In Egypt, the people became slaves. But finally, in the book of Exodus, a deliverer arose. Moses. Moses. And he led the people out of Egypt. He provided for the people a set of laws, a set of rules that they were to follow in order to be God's people. He marched the people all the way up to the edge of Canaan. Twelve spies were sent out to discover what the land was like, to uncover what the land was like. Ten of them returned and said, we can't do this. Two of them said, we can do this. Well, who won out? The ten. And the people rebelled, turned away from entering the land, and for 38 years, they wandered in the wilderness. For those 38 years, God trained the people. And we have five books that outlines those details. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. And it leaves a question. What now? God's promises are unfulfilled. What now? And we're left with the book of Joshua to bridge that gap. And what I want us to see over the course of the next several months is that bridging the gap of possessing God's promises relies 100% absolutely on nobody else but God. It is only God. And that's going to be the key. So we're going to see that time and time again. In fact, Joshua's name, the, book of the, uh, the name of the book in, as well, is itself a testament to the fact that it's only God. If we were to pronounce it in a more Hebrew format, it's Yeshua. And it's a compound word, two words put together, of yeah or Yeh, which is an abbreviation for Yahweh, and Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. The name of the book itself is God is salvation. And that's going to be the key. God is our salvation. So, we start off with after the death of Moses. And what I want you to see in that first passage, in those first four verses, is the central theme of the entire book, is that possessing the promise begins with depending on the promiser. God is salvation. He is the one who's the promiser. Possessing God's promise begins with the promiser, with God. What we see in verses 1 and 2 is the passing of the torch from Moses to Joshua, we see that God's work is much bigger than any individual. Notice how Moses is described. 
in verse 1. It says, Moses, the prophet of God. No. Moses, the one who saw God face to face. No. Moses, the lawgiver. No. Moses, the greatest person that led Israel out of Egypt. No. Moses, the servant of the Lord. Of all the things that Moses did, there's really only one thing that mattered. He served God. I want you to understand that God's work is so much bigger than any individual because nothing that we do is of consequence except serving God. Moses was the servant of the Lord. In fact, this phrase, Moses, the servant of the Lord, is used 16 times in the book of Joshua. And at the end of the book of Joshua, it's used of Joshua. Joshua, the servant of the Lord. You see, all the things that people do don't matter. Being a servant of God is what matters. We see, though, that since Moses is dead, a new leader has come up, and that is Joshua. He had been appointed in Deuteronomy as the successor of Moses. He had worked alongside Moses. We see that in Exodus 24, as well as in Numbers 11. But Joshua inherits Moses' responsibility. But at no point is it about Joshua. At no point is it about Moses. It is always about God. Second sub-point here is that God's promises are big and dependable. I want you to notice, without going through all the details, verses 3 through 4, all of the places that are promised. That's a lot of land area. That's a lot of area. And God promised it. It's interesting. God says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Remember, who was Joshua earlier? He had been one of the spies. He had gone throughout the land. I think God is bringing this to mind. Every place where you had set your foot. That's a lot of place. But it's also... Not just a gimme, not just an easy. Remember, Joshua had seen the fortresses. Joshua had seen the enemy encampments. God is reminding him, you remember all of those fortresses you saw. You remember the walls, the tall walls that you saw. You remember the warriors that you saw. I'm giving those to you. Every place that you've stepped your foot, I'm giving to you. The word give is one of the most used words in the Hebrew Old Testament. Did you know that? It's one of the top 15 words in the Old Testament. It is used 2,010 times in the Old Testament. God is a God who gives. Think about that. Think about the words you use. What are the top 15 words you use? I'm guessing give is not one of them. God is a God who gives. And he is the one who is giving the promise. Possessing the promise begins with depending on the promiser. So let me give you an action step. 
I want you this week to set aside some time. And what I want you to do in this time is to purposefully reflect on God and his programs. Reflect on God and what he is giving. Set time aside. Maybe you set it in your calendar. I have to set things in my calendar. So I will mark half an hour to do this, even if it's something that's just by myself, so that I remember to do it. Set some time to reflect on God and how he is working in your life. Joshua is standing on the edge of the muddy, swirling waters of the Jordan. And God says, I will give this to you. Let's go to verses 5 through 9. In verses 5 through 9, we read, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Possessing the promise requires strength of character. Now, we have to be careful here. Because it's not strength of your character. It's strength of God's character. And we're going to see that in these verses. Possessing the promise relies that we have strength of character, but not something that I bring to the table, but rather something that God provides for me. If you turn in your Bibles to Numbers 13, in Numbers 13, this is the incident where the spies were sent out. And I want you to see something in Numbers 13, verses 16. Joshua was not always known as Joshua. Let's read Numbers 13, 16. These are the name of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. So Joshua was not always known as Joshua before he was Hosea. Now, if you remember back to my earlier explanation of Joshua's name, Joshua's name used to be Salvation. Moses changed his name. Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. You see, none of us bring anything to the table. It is God who is salvation. It is God who is the one that gives us strength of character. God calls his servant here to be strong and courageous. I want you to consider for just a minute. Joshua was one of the spies. 
That means Joshua knew what Jericho looked like. He had gone. He had looked. He knew AI. Jericho and AI were probably forts, not that big. We'll learn about them in a couple of weeks. There were bigger cities, like Hatzor. Joshua knew how big the enemy was. God is not saying be strong and courageous in this flippant, hey, just be strong and courageous. No, I think as Joshua looks at the waters of the Jordan and looks forward to having to lead this people, he is rightfully afraid. In the Old Testament, in in the books of the law, we learn that God says, I didn't give you the land of Canaan because you were a mighty people. No, I gave it to you because you are one of the smallest people. These people had been cowards before, afraid to enter the land. They had wandered in the desert for 38 years. We have a church softball team. We'll have a game tonight. It had been probably seven years since I played softball. It's not that I was ever good before. But I'll tell you what, seven years of not doing something, you get really bad at it. (laughs) Joshua had been with Israel wandering in the desert for 38 years. You want to know what? I bet they weren't very good at this fighting thing. I bet they knew it. They were going to need God. God says, be strong and courageous. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is becoming one of my favorite verses. Jesus tells the Apostle Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, God is the one who can be strong. But it's not just being strong and courageous. In verses 7 and 8, we see that God calls Joshua to be faithful to his word, to God's word. And God describes what that faithfulness looks like. This is, I think, really cool because oftentimes we use these Christianese words. Be faithful to God's word. Okay, that's great. What's that mean? God tells us right here what it means to be faithful to God's word. He tells us, last, it involves obedience, obeying God's word. But it involves meditating on God's word. Faithfulness to God's word involves meditating on God's word. And then God says, let it be on your lips. Being faithful to God's word involves talking about God's word. So there's a threefold way that we can be faithful to God's word. There's a threefold way Joshua was told to be faithful to God's word. One was to talk about it. That's what we do here, and hopefully you do outside of here as well. He was to meditate on it, to study it, to have it in his mind. And finally, he was to obey it. Be faithful and courageous. Be faithful to the word. God also calls his servants to put their confidence in him. God says, do not be discouraged. Yes, the Canaanites are mighty. The land that you're going into is mountainous land. The land of Israel is very mountainous. It's very rugged. Yeah, and you guys have been in the desert for 38 years. You're not really an experienced fighting force. But God's with you. Don't be discouraged. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It matters what God brings to the table. 
Be strong and courageous. Don't be discouraged. God is with you. Have you ever done rock climbing? So there is a, a documentary out there called Free Solo about a man who climbed El Capitan without any rope or anybody else helping him. That's crazy. I mean, there's, there's nothing short of that. That's crazy. Emily and I had the chance to do some rock climbing in China three years ago, up in the mountains. And uh, I will tell you, I've climbed in gyms before. It's a lot different when you're 60 foot up the face of an actual rock. Looking down at rocks below you, they're jagged. But you know you've got the harness on, and you know you've got the rope. And when your hand slips and you feel yourself settle into that rope, you realize, the rope's got me. It's okay. It doesn't make it any less scary. Well, maybe a little less scary, but it's still really scary. But the rope's got you. God calls his people to trust him. God's got this. Be strong and courageous. Don't be discouraged. Now, I will tell you, it's easy even with a rope to get discouraged. I was climbing up one that was really steep, and the guy who was belaying me, um, I don't speak Chinese, he didn't speak English, we just sort of were trusting each other. And I looked down and he looked like he was uh, carrying on a conversation with someone else and pretty distracted. And I looked up, I'm about halfway up the rock face, and I think, I wonder if he's paying attention. And I don't know how to ask. <laughs> and I got discouraged. And so I slipped. What I did is I like, kind of let go. I was like, oh, my hands are tired, and let me down. Um, I gave up. I didn't trust the rope. With God... Don't be discouraged. Trust the rope. But I want you to notice something. God's word was central to this. So how do we get to where we can trust God? Here's your action step. Spend time in his word this week. Spend dedicated time. Remember what Joshua was told. Obey my word. Talk about my word. Meditate on my word. Strength and courage, strength of character, does not come from ourselves. It comes from God. All right, let's move on to verses 10 through 15. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord God gives them rest, 
as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. What I want you to see here is that possessing the promise is not an individual effort. God made people to join together with him in his work. God wants us to work with him. The people are told here in this part of the passage to get ready, gather your provisions. God is leading this effort. God is the one who's doing this, but he wants to bring you along with him. Yesterday, uh, a few of us had the opportunity to work on the playground, and we made substantial progress on it yesterday. One of the things, though, is I was talking with Richard about it, is he was talking about when his kids have helped him with the project. And the thing we talked about is the fact that when your children or young children help you with a project, it always takes longer. So why do you do it? To train them, to help them grow, to involve them, to build relationship. Could God have by himself driven the Canaanites out of the land? Yes. Did he do it that way? No. He worked with the people. Possessing the promise is not an individual effort. God wanted the people to prepare because God involves people in his work. This all of us working with God. In order to explain this passage, I need to take just a little bit of a, a backup into history. During the 38 years that Israel was wandering in the desert, somebody would pick on them. Somebody would attack them. They did get a little bit of fighting experience in that time. And they won some land. They actually conquered a little bit of land during their time wandering in the desert. Two and a half of the tribes told Moses, we already have some land here. We kind of like to stay here. And God allowed that to happen. So two and a half tribes made the deal that they were going to not cross the Jordan. They were going to stay. But God made a rule for them. Yes, you can have this land here, but you have to still help fight on the other side of the Jordan. You have to still go over, send your army over. You have to be part of the conquest because you're in this together. God calls on us to help each other. We have a responsibility to working together as we possess the promise. So the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh sent their army and let their wives and children stay in the land. So if God wants us to work with him, if possessing the promise is not an individual effort, but actually something God calls us to do with him, what is the action step that we should take? My answer is Make sure to set aside time and space so that you can join with God in his work. We live in a world and in a society that will suck up every minute of your life if you let it. 
There is no shortage of things to do. So you're going to have to be careful. And set aside time to serve God, to work with God. He's calling on us to join with him. We have to be purposeful in that. We have to be prepared to do it. All right, verses 16 through 18. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Possessing the promise is an act of obedience. Obedience involves taking action. Notice what the people say. Whatever, whenever. We are with you. But it also involves discernment. Why do I say discernment? Look there in verse 17 at this phrase, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. The people I believe here are putting a caveat. They're saying whatever, whenever, as long as you're following God. Possessing the promise involves obedience, but obedience involves discernment. We don't follow, remember back to point one, we don't follow any man. We follow God. And finally, just like in the other points, obedience requires strength and courage. Oftentimes, we talk about obedience like it's easy. Obedience is not always easy. Sometimes obedience requires strength. Sometimes obedience requires courage. Always obedience is the right thing to do. This is the fourth time in chapter 1 that God has said, be strong and courageous. God says it once, it's important. He says it twice, you better be paying attention. He said it four times, be strong and courageous. So let me ask you, what steps do you need to take to be obedient? What steps do you personally need to take to be obedient? Joshua Hubbard, in his commentary on Joshua, talks about four types of churches. You see, Israel was standing on the east side of the Jordan River, looking to cross. They had already failed this test once. 38 years earlier, as they stood, they decided, we can't do it. Um, Joshua Hubbard describes four churches. The first church he calls the Museum Church. says there's a lot of these in Europe. They're beautiful buildings, but they serve no purpose other than as something nice to look at. Nobody goes there anymore. Nobody serves God there. They are simply museums. The second set of churches he calls maintenance churches. These are churches which are striving to maintain themselves. They're working hard 
to keep things the way they are. He says, I like this quote, the dying words of these churches are, we never did it that way before. <laughs> the third type of church is the ministry church. These are churches that are comfortable on the east side of the Jordan. The problem is a ministry church can quickly become a maintenance church. Amen. The fourth type of church Mission church looks at the land of Canaan across the Jordan and says, that's going to be hard. But that's what God's called us to. Is to serve our people, but also to break into other people and to show them God's power. To cross the Jordan in full faith of God and possess the promise that God has. The mission church recognizes that the best defense is a good offense. Cosecha is one of the ways that we are reaching into the community. It's one of the ways that we are trying to reach others with the message of the gospel. But let's go further. Let's keep pushing. Whether it's at work, whether it's out in the community itself, whether it's in our neighborhood. Let's be a church that doesn't just serve here, but reaches into people to bring them the gospel of Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about Rahab. Here's what I think is amazing. When Joshua sends people to cross the Jordan, what's the first thing that happens? Somebody who knows nothing of God comes to know God. If we are willing to go out into our community, if we're willing to tell others, they will listen. We're going to see that Rahab was waiting for these people. God had prepared her. God has prepared people for us to bring into our church. Let's go get her. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the God who has promised to bring people to you, to draw people to you. But possessing that promise, first of all, relies on you. We need you. But it relies that we need the strength of character that only comes from you. We must be in your word. We must be spending time with you. It takes us doing it together. Joining together with you in your work. There are people in our community that we can reach. Give us the passion to reach them. And finally, it requires obedience. It's not easy to go tell your fellow coworker, your neighbor, to invite them. But yet, possessing the promise requires obedience. Stepping out in faith. I thank you that it's all about you. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about following you. And I pray that we would step out and be willing to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.